0: We continue on the book of Luke, uh, we've been preaching through that for two years I think, yeah. third, year, no. third year, we're in probably the third year, we're almost finished, Amen. Uh, but obviously we've been preaching other things as we go, but we'll jump back in there, we'll finish it off, um, and then we can move on to preach some other books in the Bible, um, but it's been great studying through Luke, and today if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19, Uh, I believe it was last time I preached was when we finished up in Luke. I hope, because if not, I'm preaching what someone else already has. But I don't think that's the case. We finished up with uh, Luke chapter 19 with uh, Zacchaeus, right? And hopefully you guys remember that, uh, how Zacchaeus has this interaction. and, And Zacchaeus was really this disgraceful traitor to his own people. And was just the least likely character. And, and Jesus d- decides not to stop at this town, but to pass through. And yet, he sees Zacchaeus and he chooses him. And he says, no, no, I want to have dinner at your place. And Zacchaeus, blown away by this amazing grace, this amazing call, he has that big here and now moment. And, and it finishes up, and, and we sort of finished off, but we'll, we'll start reading in verse 9. In verse 9, so Luke chapter 19, verse 9. So Jesus said to him, so to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your manor has earned five more. He answered, his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your manor. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you're a hard man you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. So they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But for as the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. It, uh, it has a bit of an intense ending right there. But um, but it's, it's a great scripture and there's a lot in here to learn. Um, and so, again, Jesus had just finished this interaction with Zacchaeus. This interaction, and, and again, there's just been this amazing sort of, wow, this grace, and here and now moment, and he has this radical change, and, and he gives so much of his money away to half the best of the poor, pays back everyone that he owes four times as much. And you think, wow, what an amazing story. And the title of our lesson is The Parable on Everything. The Parable on Everything and in verse 9 where we picked up at the end of the story Jesus says he goes today salvation has come to this house today salvation has come to this house and such a statement about Zacchaeus like Zacchaeus this traitor salvation coming to this house would have left these guys just like gobsmacked and it would have started getting their mind ticking thinking if it's come to his house surely the house of Israel and so that's why these guys start thinking, well, then he's on the way to Jerusalem, maybe this is it. Maybe this salvation, which in their mind again was political salvation, kind of military salvation of, hey, we are going to be set free from the Romans. It's, it's happening. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're getting all confused. It's not It's not about that. And so he goes into this parable to readjust their understanding, readjust their Expectation. Um, again, he can tell that the people are starting to think this, and so he starts with this expectation. And their expect uh, their expectations and expectations in general dictate so much um, of what we kind of see in life. Really, uh, the, the thought of their thought of it being poli- uh, political sort of freedom, a political kingdom, a military kingdom that that Jesus was going to restore um, that, that that distorted their view of so much. And they got so caught up in it. Not just these guys, but the disciples. Even in Acts 1, they kind of asked the same thing. And it's just, they just can't get past it. Their, their understanding and expectations of what, what it was going to be has, has kind of clouded their vision. And so, Jesus had to change their vision. And so that leads us to our first point, which is wrong expectations. Again, wrong expectations are dangerous. They set us up for failure. It's kind of like if you're about to go on a holiday and let's just say you're deciding, you know what? We're going big time. We're going to go all the way to China. What are you going to go see in China? Great Wall Wall. Wall of China, of course. And you're looking at this thinking, it's going to be unbelievable. I'm going to get the best Facebook photo, Instagram photo, whatever photo. It's going to be unbelievable. And then reality sets in once you get there. That maybe it might not actually be like that and it might be like this. <laughs> you spent thousands of pounds getting there and you're stuck with this. <laughs> or maybe it's winter and, and people are going skiing and and uh I like skiing myself and and, and you know, and maybe if it's you know, you're going skiing and you think I've seen the videos, I've had a couple of lessons. I am going to (laughs) I've watched the Olympics, I've watched YouTube videos, I'm ready. And then reality sets in and it's like that. (laughs) Or maybe you're going to Italy and and you go to Italy and then there's that tower that leans, right? And what do you do with that tower that leans? (laughs) You take a photo and you're holding it up or you're pushing it and you think it's gonna it's gonna be epic. And reality it's not that epic. Messed up again, and another example. You going, and you're going to go admire the Mona Lisa, and you're thinking it's going to be epic, it's so peaceful. I'm going to be able to love it, and then that sets in. <laughs> and then there's then there's Birmingham. That's where Birmingham we are so lucky. Yeah, come on, tell there. us now. Because people have this negative view and negative expectation that Birmingham is going to be like this. No, they, they say stuff. They do. They say stuff. And it, it drives that? me up the wall. When really, we've got this. Yeah! yeah! Wrong expectations. They get us all caught up. We get all mixed up. That's right. <laughs> but it's not just these guys here who have these wrong expectations of Jesus and, and Christianity. It, that, that we, can, we can have that too. Yeah. We can have that too. Maybe it's becoming a Christian. You think, life is just going to be smooth sailing from here on out. I've done the study series. It just, this picture is so perfect. When actually, no, not necessarily. Life won't just be easy. That's not why you become a Christian for an easy life. Oh, I'm on God's side now. No, that everything will be easy. No, that, that will set you up for a terrible fall. When we approach God and the church with wrong expectations, people become Christians for the wrong reasons, thinking, "Oh, great! I'm just going to have these relationships that are perfect. No one's going to ever offend me," or like, and and we get hurt, and and people leave because of things like that. I know. And again, it, it exactly. Oh no! know. set those expectations right. But but but. Preferably, preferably there, there won't be, but no, there will be issues. There will be conflicts, hurts, with one another. We're going to let each other down. We're going to hurt each other. Leaders are going to fall. Leaders are going to fail. It's, we're going to make mistakes. And we, we can't have the wrong expectations of this. We are a group of sinners. And we need to be in this together. Loving one another, helping one another, pointing each other towards Christ. And this isn't about being pessimistic or cynical. This is about being a faithful realist. Not just a realist, yeah, like, but a faithful realist. That no matter how bad things get, I'm faithful that God can work, Amen. and we see that in this passage. It's all about faith. These faithful servants, faithful servants. Again, we need to we need to correct our wrong expectations with God's word and the truth. That's why we need to be digging into God's word, not because oh, I have to, but no, because it realigns our view. It, it it gets away the fog and our false expectations, and when troubles come, we're ready because we know I've got this as my foundation. God's word, God's truth. And I think we can... This can happen in lots of different areas, even just with like... Convictions or or beliefs that we have, and even things like you know helping one another or discipling one another or accountability or whatever you want to call it or mentoring. I think sometimes even we can have some wrong ideas of that. We think this is just like a policing system, and people are out to control me. And and yeah, obviously that that happens, and that's not good. But but then but then you think of like the fifty nine one another one another scriptures, carry each other's burdens, encourage each other. Spur one another on. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. And you could go on and on. And you think, how can you fulfill those unless we're in each other's lives? How can you carry each other's burdens unless we're sharing with one another what we're going through? Being vulnerable. Opening up that heart. How how can how can we get help in these areas, but Satan gets in our area and says, no, they're just trying to police you and this and that, and some people probably are, but but, but you need to say, okay, I'm not concerned with what other people think. I, 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 want to, I want to be right with God. I want to get help in my life. Yeah, maybe people might judge me, but no, I, I want my marriage, I want my family, I, I want help. I want people to be able to direct me back to God's word when my vision gets cloudy when my vision gets cloudy. We need to go back to God's word and, uh, and get those wrong expectations cleared out so that we can have spiritual eyes and ears and clarity. And this brings us to our second and final point, which is God's investment. So, obviously, you have this nobleman, right, and, and uh, he, he kind of goes off um, to become king. And this is relating to what culturally would happen. Uh, back then it basically when a king would want to sort of well not a, not a king when someone was kind of becoming king I should say they would go to Rome and the emperor would kind of appoint them and they would get power and and they would be elevated and this happened to Herod the Great in about 40 BC uh, Herod the Great in 40 BC and, and then obviously more recently to this was Archelaus which is his son which happened in 4 BC and with this guy this is most likely what he's referring Jesus is kind of alluding to the second guy he, he had committed like mass genocide on the Jewish nation and so the Jews here wait this dude is going to become king and so they send this delegate off to, to plea with the emperor do not let this happen he will just wipe us out and, and, and actually the emperor listens and this guy doesn't become king And so he's sort of alluding to obviously this this instance of people going and pleading with with this to not be the case. And and he's referring to this, but he says, well, in this case, this nobleman will become king. He'll go and he'll become king. And he's using this to, again, to correct their views. That no, Jesus won't be overthrowing the Roman Empire. He's actually going to Jerusalem to be crucified, to rise again. And, And he'll be actually leaving but he will come back one day. He will return one day. And that's, that's when there'll be this all-consuming authority and power. But until then, he's, he invests in us. And he says, I want you to be faithful whilst I am gone. And so again, this nobleman, he, he calls his ten of his servants and he gives each of them one minor, which is about three months' wage, so of a day's sort of labourer. Um, so whatever that would be, I guess, um, in UK's economy. But uh, And he expects them to use what he's given them. And then he heads off to become king, and and this group of enemies goes to protest. But it's funny, he it doesn't even sort of... <coughs> they sort of just get kind of forgotten about, so to speak. He just becomes king. No effect. Um, and it's funny, but this sort of instance, it, it kind of reminds me of, of John 19, verse 15, where where there's the crucifixion and Pilate's there and he's with the people and, and it's kind of like they've gone to Pilate and kind of pleading like, this dude isn't our king, right? He says, Here, Pilate says, here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away and crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. He says, no, he, we don't want him as our king. But then they, they want... Caesar is their king. That would that was just like an un, unthinkable statement to make for a Jew. Mm-hmm. But just how clouded they got in this this sort of heat of the moment yeah. that they even said, yeah, Caesar, Caesar you're our king. Think, oh my good, what is going on? Denying his kingship. Denying his kingship. And then obviously going back into the parable of the nobleman, so he gives them each one minor and, and after he returns, he doesn't just go and deal with um, those who you would think, okay, first things first, go deal with the people who are sort of like badmouth to you. But he doesn't actually. He he goes to his servants. That's his main concern. Those are who his faithful servants. And he, I want to, I want to see what you have done. I want to see what you have done. So he calls them in, and the first one says, "Sir, your miner has earned you ten more miners." He says. I want you to take charge of ten cities second servant sir your minor has earned you five more take charge of five cities and I think just really quickly I just love their humility it's not look what I did it's sir your, your minor has earned you this and really that's what it's all about that as we get entrusted by God as God invests in us it's not about us It's not our gift, our or should I say, our works that do this. It's it's God working. God invests in us, and we simply are faithful what He invests in. The humility there is really challenging. It uh, and then obviously the third servant comes and 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 he kind of he goes, you know, sir, here is your minor. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth and you get this idea of, um, of almost like just like a like a bit of like a handkerchief or something like that in his pocket just something like old and nasty and he's like here yeah, i've got it i've got it in there and i i hit it there and you can sort of tell like he's he doesn't even wait for the master the king to to respond and it's kind of like that when you sort of know you've kind of done something wrong, and you've got the excuse ready, you've thought it thought it through, and you're like, "Do I just go out and say it? Do I wait?" And, and he just jumps right and says, "You know, you're harsh, you're mean. That's why I did this. And don't blame me, right? Don't blame me. It wasn't my fault." And it's interesting; we don't even know what his response would have been. The king really, this guy kind of interrupts what the response would be. He just jumps into. Defense mode, and he does a bad job of it too by blaming the king, right? And the master says, "Well, if you think that of me, then that's how I'll I'll judge you, I guess. That's the way you really view me. That's the way you view me. That's how I'll judge." You. And his mind is taken away and given to the one with ten, and there are those replies with, "But what, he's already, they've already, that guy's already got ten. What?" But but he said, "No, I'm going to give to those who are faithful." Someone I can trust. Again, the nobleman is Jesus. He's come to reign and he wants to prepare his people. And when he gets to Jerusalem, again, that won't be the time to reign. That, that will come later. But Jesus is preparing them and he's preparing us with these minors, these, these investments, so that we can faithfully live in the period of waiting for his glorious return. And Jesus, he invests in us as we build his church waiting for... His return. Everything we have is an investment from God. Everything we have. James 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Everything, every good thing we have is an investment from God. A gift from God. And so, really, this parable, as the title of the lesson describes, this this parable is about everything. This parable relates to everything. Everything you have, everything you can become, everything you're able, everything you're capable to do, it relates to everything. the The investment of Jesus is everything that He has given us. It relates to your employment your family, your money, your gifts, your time, relationships, technology, ambitions, desires, possessions, property, all God has given you. But God's giving that freely, graciously, abundantly, but He wants us to live faithfully with it. He he demands a return on those investments. And there'll be a day when we stand before the judgment seat and yet if we've repented and been baptised, and embrace Him as our Lord, desire Him to rule over us. He's our King. We, we're forgiven completely. But but every servant of the King must be reminded that, that we aren't just forgiven. That wasn't just it. We were given the Holy Spirit. We were given these gifts and talents to use to build His church whilst we wait. It wasn't just about, yes, that is the end goal, but whilst we wait. And that was really Paul's mentality here. That that everyone needs to take ownership. And it's uh, Paul, sorry, I'll explain what I mean by that. In First Corinthians three, um, in verse ten, it, it talks about here, by the grace of God, God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. Again, it Paul obviously saw himself as the foundation layer, but the foundation obviously being Jesus, Jesus and his, and his word. But he expected everyone to come along and that, that other people are building on it. And that was his expectation to the Corinthian church. And, and that's, that's our expectation for us as we wait here. That was his mentality. But I think sometimes we can get a bit confused about all that. And we forget that, that God has invested in me. And he expects... Me to build his church using what he's given me. He doesn't expect you to do it on your own, and I think that's the best part: is that he doesn't just say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to be away. I want you to figure out a way to make some minders for me." No, he actually says, "I'm going to give you this, but I expect you to do something with it." But that, to me, that pressure's off, uh, sort of. Pre- no, it pressure's off because he gives us it, and all we need to do is be faithful with it, and it will produce a harvest. It will produce fruit. Pressure is off. This isn't about results. This is about being faithful with what God has given us. So don't feel pressured. It really isn't on us. We just need to be faithful with what God has given us. It is our duty to build. And then in in verse 11 to 13, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than that one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It's Paul saying we need to be careful how we build. It gives sort of these, kind of these two contrasting things that we can build with, right? So you can build with, with some things that are very valuable like gold, silver, costly stones. We can build with wood, hay or straw. And there's going to be a difference here that he'll go on to in the next verse. Again, the expectation is is that God has blessed you with gifts, talents, money, skills, time, energy, and that you'll use them to build up his church. Well, I, I, but then we can lose that a little bit. I know that's my gift and talent, but, I just, I'm really overwhelmed, right? I'm just a bit tired. I don't really, I want to just focus on doing me. And we we no longer use our talents and gifts and energy and time to to build God's church, but to build our own life. Yeah, I know maybe one of my gifts maybe even might be leadership, but I'm really busy running a business now, and, and I think that's even my gift as well, so I'm just going to focus on running a business. And I'm not really going to be focused on the church. And God is saying, no, that, that, that is building with hay, straw and wood. Stuff that won't survive the fire. And what's building with, with gold, costly stones and silver, that's, that's building using our talents that God has given us. The gifts that he has entrusted to us building with these these things of value, of worth. That, that's what will make this church last. And you think, oh, but if you're not really building the ch- church with your gifts and stuff like that, maybe not building all... No, we, we are all building the church. We're all creating a culture mm-hmm. for the church in Birmingham. That's right. Whether you realise it or not. Yeah. Your attitude, your the way you live your day-to-day, the way you are when you come here, the way you interact with each other, you, you are building the church. And we can either build it using our, our love, our energy, our gifts, our talents that God's given us. Or we can build selfishly. Maybe not even, we just focus on our own lives. But we create a culture and we build a church that, that won't survive the fires that come. And, and obviously none of us want that. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. None of us want that. But we need to we need to get down and say, okay, I need to use what God has entrusted with me to build his church. God has invested in us to build his church. And again, in verse 13, obviously just what I was talking about before, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Again, this fire imagery saying what will survive? Obviously the costly stones, those things of value. That's what will survive. And again, we, we want a church that will survive. And we kind of we get that that imagery even in, in this parable here of of being being a church of invest, using what God's invested to build his church to make it last till he returns. So again, those gifts, talents, time, energy, finance, resources it needs to be to, to bring glory to God's name. It, it needs to be. We can't be building this church with leftovers. Yeah. Or just giving enough so maybe someone's not on your back or something like that. Maybe that's how you feel. Let me just give enough so no one... No, this isn't... This is God's church. This is God's church. This is His family. Let's build with costly stones. It will require sacrifice at times. Yeah. It, it'll take something of you to, to do that, but, but there'll be no regret. There will be no regret. And, and it's amazing because the, the first guy who, who has one minor and he, and he, gives, he gets ten more, and, and then what, is, what does the nobleman say? He, hey, take, take. He says, ten cities. And it's amazing. The reward is absolutely disproportionate to what happened in this guy's uh, duty. I guess. Okay, he he had three months' wage of worth of money, and then he he put that to work, and that produced thirty months. That's pretty great. But maybe you might be able to buy a plot of land back then. But he gets to rule over ten cities, and I think this is how amazing our God is. Really, it's not about how great. Again, it's not about how great we are. We just faithfully put to work what He's given us. And the reward is so much greater. Eternity in heaven. A relationship with Him forever. A relationship with each other forever. His grace and love is so much more sufficient, but we need to be faithful. Are we building His church with what He's invested in us? And again, to sort of finish up, looking at just a couple of the different the different people here obviously you've got the the nobleman and his servants who are obviously us right disciples and then you have these others who don't want him to reign they these people who don't want him as their king they say no I don't I don't want to surrender my life to you and, and that's that's now us when when we say I don't really want you as my lord and we may not say it but we but we very well will live that way. Because there'll be certain areas where we say, no, 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 you can't have that. That's us not wanting Jesus to be king. And in verse 27, the king turns his attention to these people and he says, bring them out and kill them. And it's this intense scripture that it ends with so intense and and just the gravity and the magnitude of that it is meant to sort of wake us up and be like oh my goodness this king is for real he is loving he is gracious we don't need to work for it but we need to accept him as king he is for real this is to humble us and again but so often we want to hang on to the throne and keep control it's not worth it And I want to encourage you, if that if feels like that's you today, maybe maybe you're coming out, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're studying, I don't know, I'm not sure where you are, maybe you're already a Christian, but maybe there's that sort of struggle going on. You're sort of back on the throne, and you've kicked kind of Jesus off, or maybe Jesus has never been on, and I want to encourage you, sit down with someone, talk about it. Study out, see, see what God's Word has to say about it. Share what's stopping you. I get it. There's always stuff that stops us. We're We all struggle with the same thing. Don't feel ashamed. We all go through that. Share what your fears are. Things that that want to hold you back before it's too late. Jesus is the best king. And God wants to invest in each and every one of us. He has invested in each and every one of us. Again, sometimes you think, well, I don't have talents and this and that. We all do and we need to spend time figuring out what those are. But we all have things that everyone has. We have energy, energy, we have money, we have time. And we need to be we need to be putting those things to use to build his church. We need to build his church. Again, what about your time? What about your money? How do how do you use your money? How do you use your time? Selfishly or to build his church? Again, God isn't going to ask how do you build your portfolio, your job, your house, your network of friends? Your empire? No, he's going he's to ask, how did you build my church, my body? How did you faithfully live during those times when I was away? Again, let's, let's be people that realize God has invested greatly in us. And there's no better time that as we come to the cross that we realize that. The ultimate investment, right? Where he died on the cross the most excruciating pain was separated spiritually from God to invest in us and give us the chance to have forgiveness of sins. To give us that chance of eternal life. What an investment that is. And as we come and we take the bread and the wine it's a time to say I've, I've got to refocus here. What, what am I building my life on? What am, what am I using God's investments in? What am I using to build God's church? Am I doing that? This is the time where we, re- we refocus and we remember how great God is, what He has given us freely, and what He faithfully expects of us. So as we take in the bread and the wine, let's remember that, that we need to dig into God's Word to, to get away those wrong expectations and understandings, to clear our vision, and to use God's investments wisely. Church, I'm really excited to see what God will do this year. That as we faithfully work together, building his church in, in eagerness and eager anticipation of his return. So as we take the bread and the wine, let's reflect on that. Let's please bow your head in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for just this time that uh, that we can come together as a, as a family as, as your bride, as, as your body, as your church, as your temple, to be able to, to fix our eyes on you. When things get cloudy, things get messed up and our vision gets blurred and, and we start misunderstanding things, we start to get wrong expectations of what life will be like as a Christian or all different things. I thank you so much that your word brings clarity to that. That, that you and your sacrifice brings clarity to that. And I pray that is that we can remember your sacrifice. That each week it's it's that, that reminder of that investment you have made in us. That we, we are worthy but, but you expect us to live faithfully with that investment. To build your church, not selfishly but to build it for you. God, I pray you can be with us as we, we take the bread and the wine. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much for giving us another day to be together, Lord. Thank you so much for this this family, this group here, Lord. I pray that we can help one another, love one another, and, and point each other back to you. Again, God, thank you so much. And I pray that each week as we come here, we can be reminded of what you've invested in us and that we can use that to build your church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.